0: to The Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Wella, and Obehi Alifoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In today's episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion, we're going to be looking at stress, workload stress, specifically how you can help your employees to manage the stress that comes with the work that they've got to do. I mean, this is one of the biggest issues that was raised at our round table, which we hold periodically for senior HR leaders. This one was called Rise of the New Leader, talking about the new skills that need to be developed in our leadership team. And time after time after time, you guys were telling us that employees are complaining of the super high workloads that they've got. It's one of the gifts that the recession has, the recession, well, actually it's one of the gifts that the pandemic and the recession have given us because fears of job security and a dodgy economy mean that heavy workloads on employees have become normalized. And employees are often fearful to refuse just in case that it damages or compromises their career or their standing in the workplace. Many times as redundancies have happened or roles have naturally left organizations, they haven't been replaced. And the pressure of the workload falls on everyone else who's expected to just absorb it. We've come up with this phrase that we use to talk about how one person's Problems, stress, mental health issues become a problem for the whole team given time. We call it the well being black hole. And that's where team members will get sucked in as the domino effect of one person's struggle to cope eventually succumbs to the weight and pressure of the workload and goes off sick or takes a long extended leave of absence and how that impacts on everybody else. So, why? Why have we got so much workplace stress? Well, it's because there's just too much to do in a day. There is. Benedin's Mental Health in the Workplace survey found that more than four in 10 employees have suffered from stress at some point during their careers due to their workload. And from their research, the following were cited as the main causes which have led to workplace stress and subsequently caused mental health issues at work. Coming in at poll position was increased workload with 38% of the votes, followed closely by financial concerns at 18%, workplace bullying at just under 10. Things like hitting deadlines, workplace culture, job insecurity, uh, managing people, clients or customers, they were also listed. But you can see how the workload, the sheer volume of what's expected to be achieved by one individual in the workplace is such a trigger and cause of concern for so many employees. Okay, so what are the
1: consequences of an increased workload on employees and managers? What, what, do, think, what, what do we see here? So we're going to talk about five problems associated with increased workload from employee and manager perspective. So the first one is, you guessed it, burnout, stress, and a sense of dread so, increased workload can lead to a higher level of stress, burnout, and also one of the surveys conducted by the American Institute of Stress. Workload accounted for 46% of the reported workplace stress. That's similar to the Benedict one at 38%, right? So, Headspace survey, which was last month, May actually, 2023, Workforce Attitude Survey reported that 87% of employees that they felt a sense of dread at least once a month, with nearly half of that, 49%, saying they feel a sense of dread at least once a week. So it's interesting, this sense of dread. In other words, I wake up in the morning and I'm already dreading my day. Mm. And the three drivers of that dread were the lack of stability at work, 45%, clearly the economic uncertainty driving that number, rising expectation to take on more responsibility at work, 45%, And then expectations are higher and people are worried about not being able to meet them, 42%. So this is what I wanted to share there.
0: It's no wonder then that everybody's saying, well, everybody seems to be going off with mental health. Definitely, this this is an adjustment. Um, Things like the industrial revolution, the dawn of the tech age, they would have come with advantages, numerous advantages, and a shift in our working habits and patterns and expectations. The introduction of chat GPT. Yeah. So many people are saying chat GPT is going to make working life easier for everybody. I am perhaps one of those skeptics who says, well, what it will do is just change the, the amount that's expected of us. Because yeah. now if you can write an article or a blog post, in, in 10, 10 minutes. minutes, I <laughs> yeah. expect you to do 10 blog posts a week, not one. So yeah, it, technology has definitely helped in many ways, but in terms of expectations, I think it has made expectations of what one individual can achieve so much higher. And yeah. so I understand this fear of not being able to meet it.
1: That's a really good point actually. So if, I can imagine if if expectations are higher because they're expecting you have all these tools to use. So you know you could take an hour to write a blog post, now you can use 10 minutes. I like that example. But actually that's not what we would see. What we would see is the reduced or decreased productivity and the quality of the work. Because if I can rely on an app to do something, I'm not probably going to notice that much and if I'm tired, I'm certainly going to not even engage my critical brain to be able to say, hey, could you check that properly? So I think overburdened employees will struggle with productivity levels and that will result in output decrease, lower quality of um, work. And so when your teams are overworked and tired, their cognitive function will be impaired. So the bit that said go and reread this then to make sure it reads well. And I'm using the blog because everybody understands how to write an article or some report they've had to do for work or, or school or something. But the overall, will be impaired. Therefore, I don't even have the word we to even go and check it. And even if I did, I'm still not seeing it. So mm-hmm. the quality will be will re- be reflected in that. Errors, delays, loss of revenue. Can you imagine writing a report and it turns out, okay, we missed a few things in there. I have to go and report, rewrite that again. It's completely... Mm-hmm. A lot of manpower wasted, I think. So that's my thought around the sense of dread and its higher expectations will have no choice but to affect productivity and the quality of
0: work. Yeah, and that is a problem. That's a problem for you as a business. And there's, this is the other thing. Essentially, as I keep saying, um, you guys are probably bored of hearing it, but we are humans. We are not yet robots. I say yet probably because I grew up watching Terminator too much. They are coming, by the way. But... We have a full life and we do need things, things that we, we don't seem to value as much as we should in the workplace. Things like mm, rest, relaxation, quality sleep, nutrition, exercise. And if we've got massively high expectations of the level of productivity that can be achieved, the amount of work that can be completed, the pressure is to sacrifice those things in order to achieve that level of output. So, this then has a significant impact on an employee's work life balance, right? Yeah. This affects their personal relationships, their mental health, their physical health, their overall well being. There was a survey that the Mental Health Foundation did, and it showed that 40% of employees reported neglecting all other aspects of their life due to work-related stress right so oh, I mean I know it as well you're as well as being a as a business owner I am a wife and a mother and a daughter and a cousin and a neighbor and a sister and a friend and a blah 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 but work does always come first in so many instances yeah. and the first thing you give up is oh, well I can I can let the kids babysit themselves with tv right? So they can watch TV and I'll carry on working from the kitchen, that's fine. And then the next thing that goes is, oh, I can't make date night this week. And and so you start to sacrifice it. Then you get tired and you can't get up and go to the gym like you should and blah, 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 blah. It is so easy to see how, we all know, we all know and we've all experienced it when work creep comes into your overall life and therefore starts to affect your overall sense of well-being.
1: Actually, interesting is Classic example of this, literally this weekend, Glastonbury weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Louis Capaldi. That I have to say, that's the classic example of someone who work-life balance uh, has it affected. He's performing. For the benefit of
0: those who don't know what happened at Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah. You t- okay, tell them what happened at Glastonbury. I was going to say you tell them. Uh, we weren't there, by the way. We, yeah. <laughs> because we, we, we were working. working. Now, yeah. G- Glastonbury. So this weekend, Lewis Capaldi, who is a popular singer, um, British singer. Beautiful he, voice. Love him. Well, yeah, he is. And he's very down to earth and an all guy who has very much been open about his mental health and his struggles and if anybody has the opportunity to watch his documentary which is i believe on apple tv it is very compelling but he has recently been diagnosed with tourette's and tourette's as many of you will know is exacerbated the 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 symptoms and the signs and the side effects of tourette's are exacerbated with stress stress conditions now when you tour as i'm told It is highly stressful. Appearing on the world's biggest stage to the world's biggest audience in front of some of the world's biggest artists is going to be stressful, very, very stressful. He ended up having an attack of tics and he couldn't actually finish his songs. He He couldn't finish singing. The beautiful thing was the entire audience of that main stage seemed to chime in with the lyrics to his songs so, and finished the songs for him. And mm. you could see that he was visibly moved mm. because that is an outpouring of of sympathy, love, empathy, and, and love. Yeah. But yeah, this is someone who, when you overwork, it starts to impact on your health. And now, interestingly enough, he's, take, he's, he's come out publicly to announce that he's taking a step Put back camera. from touring. Yeah. He's not doing that so he can focus on his health.
1: And it's interesting. I mean, the reason why I, I kind of remembered and mentioned that is because, OK, yes, we're not all lose capacity in work. We don't do that kind of work, and, and that might be it. But we actually sometimes don't even know that we are overworked. Some of our employees and team members will not know. They're, we're expecting them to tell us. And sometimes until the symptoms start to override because exactly what happened to Louis on the stage is at some point, because he must have known, or I could have known, that actually, could I manage this whole day? Possibly I can manage this whole day, but until you're right there, you don't mm-hmm. know. And that's what happened to him. His voice cracked. So even though his body wanted to, his voice couldn't. It's almost like, sorry, but mate, we're going to shut you down now mm-hmm. because you need to go and rest. And it's until that point that we then tell people, okay, we're going to sign the doctor, we're going to sign you off sick. I don't want us to get to the stage where, where, That's where we encourage our employees and our team to take rest when the doctor had literally signed them off or they have gotten a visible breakdown that is very clear that they cannot cope. That part I'm still having problems with. I want employers and leaders to be able to take responsibility, do it themselves and encourage people, inviting them to take time out, look after yourself. You don't wait until it's very visibly and obvious before we go, oh, yeah, they weren't faking, really. Because I can think what people might think, that how do I say I need a break without saying I need a break? Because otherwise it's like, well, can you just do that little piece of work for a minute? Because, you know, you look Mm. all right. But actually,
0: this person might just be on the last leg. Yeah. And we understand. I know that a lot of a lot of this is common sense. And we, we kind of think we or people in HR often assume their managers are doing this already. But yeah. the fact is your managers are counted in that number of people yeah. who are overworked. When you are overworked, the one thing you can't see is how busy everybody is around you. True. You just need stuff off your desk. You just need not to have another problem. So it's very difficult for you to empathize and engage with your colleagues, your peers, your, your direct reports. And that's one of the other things that becomes an issue. You, you, as an employee, start to disengage. You will experience decreased motivation, engagement, and you will start to enjoy your job less. You just don't want to be in that workplace, in that environment, which is so highly stressful. There, there was a 2023 Gallup Global Report um, that came out this month. And in Europe, it turns out that not many of us are actually engaged in our work. Only 13% of these respondents said that they were thriving at work, 13%. The vast majority were quiet quitting. So not engaged. Yeah. And then you had another Proportion fifteen percent who were loudly quitting. Loudly quitting are those who are actively disengaged. Essentially, you're as HR's troublemakers. And of the total Can I put population, that in quote? troublemakers. Yeah. Well, because they're not bad people. No, they're not. They're not happy, and they will let you know it. Yeah. And that, but of and of all the total population, thirty-four percent intended to leave and were actively seeking. Or looking out for a new job, this is why that whole quiet quitting uh, phenomenon is continuing. It's a real problem because churn. If things will not change in my organisation to help me, I'm just going to look elsewhere. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if you mentioned it. Because I kind of skipped my head. Um, the this report was for Europe. Yeah,
1: um, we didn't get a UK breakdown because they couldn't do that. But Europe, and we were quite low compared to the others, which was quite interesting. Because I always thought that we had a better Work life thing, but clearly not. We're just more polite, which is probably why we have a higher rate of quiet quitters. So we're not saying anything. We're just going with the flow, and when push comes to shove, eventually we might loud quit or start actively looking to go elsewhere. So that's my my but, rough interpretation of why we're slightly higher than we're higher than the other rest of the world, interestingly.
0: Yeah, higher than in in America, and, Canada, and Africa, yeah, everywhere. yeah. But what was interesting is actually overall. Europe were the happiest people, so we're the happiest with life, but the least satisfied at work. At work. Mm. What does that say? I don't. I don't.
1: It's a very interesting. Another in word, almost like we expect to be happy. Like we know that life at work isn't to live. We don't live for work. I think we know that innately culturally. So we know that provided we're doing a good job in in the office and we it doesn't affect our family life and stuff, we're happy with that. We don't expect to be happy at work or to try at work. Work is work, to get it done. Um, and I think the pandemic had changed this attitude where it's like, actually, I should be happy wherever I'm at,
0: mm-hmm. whether work
1: or at home, with friends, with family. I should be relatively happy. You don't imagine bouncing off the walls every single day, but I should not have this sense of dread in a particular space I find myself in. That tells me there's something wrong here. So in this case, if you have a hyperponted of staff or employees feeling a sense of dread going into the office. There's
0: a problem there. Mm. So uh, it also adds to the churn, the employee churn. Listen, I don't need to tell you guys; you're more expert in this than me. But it costs so much when employees quit. The cost of recruiting, interviewing, hiring, then training uh, the dip in productivity before they get up to speed, all of that is significant and underestimated. But if we don't create these environments in which more of our employees are reporting that they are engaged and thriving, then the only consequence is either people will go off sick or we'll have increased turnover and absenteeism. This is a significant problem yeah, for, for I mean it was the, it was the highlight of the roundtable we had
1: earlier in the month it would just overarching look at what they're concerned about so uh, on that note that brings us to this part which is well how do you spot or spot that a workload is becoming an issue in the workplace how how do we know how do team leaders know how do managers know and how do you HR for that matter know as well. So here's some, uh, some points I want you to consider. Consider any increase in employee complaint about volume of work. So. Uh, It's hard for people to suffer for long. Eventually, it will start to spill out. So they will start to complain, even among themselves. But there'll be a bit of rumble about the workload and having a bit much and not being able to prioritize. Employees who have a lot of experience and knowledge will tend to overwork because they're trying to make up for other people. So that also increases their stress load. Managers, in turn, tend to rely on them to take on more responsibility because, you know, it's easier when you get someone who knows what they're doing. Um, And so that's one thing they want to take look out for. The second thing is employees not being sure what to prioritize or focus on. So every single project seems urgent and important. That's not actually possible. Like, yes, it might be, but they're not equal. So you would, they're already saying, I don't know what to focus on. Therefore, they're spreading themselves thin across all of them. And this might mean they're not complete. And when we talk about productivity, work, that kind of thing comes up a lot. Then you might have teams or employees themselves struggling to meet deadlines that were set. Or if the deadline is being met and it's only being met because they're under constant supervision or micromanagement by the line managers. So in other words, it won't get done unless someone's literally standing over them or pushing and driving it. Or in the case of when we do training, where managers have literally had to roll their sleeves up to get in there. And once they're in there, it's part of the well-being black hole we talked about earlier. Once the managers now rolled their sleeves and in there, they have no oversight now. They can't see wood for tree. They are now part of that team trying to do the work. And the final thing I want to talk about is complaints around managers um, treating their team members unequally. So they're just kind of rumbling that it's not fair, or somebody gets more support than others, or this is when you start seeing the people who have gone off sick are getting more toxicity around them, you know, so-and-so gone off sick again, and they just mm. kind of not empathetic love around a team, or feeling resentful for team members who basically just are struggling to cope. And have had to go off sick or something so that's the key thing i want you to think about how are you going to spot so consider that in your organization right now i would speak are you hearing rumblings of things like that already and how long has this
0: rumble been going on for because that would give you a time
1: at some point it would burst just saying
0: mm. there was it reminds me of a client that i went to to see in london and work with they'd called us in because there were some dis-rumblings mm-hmm. in rumblings in the office. It's a small team. They they had some complaints of people just feeling overworked, pressure points around project delivery and things like that, but no underlying well-being or welfare issues. That's None. No, None. No, no, no. no, no, would no be it's happy. just generally because yeah. there's a lot of pressure at the moment. Mm-hmm. Could I come and deliver something? So I, I went to deliver the Angel of Wellbeing, which is our signature workshop, which helps you to identify the signs of poor mental health in yourself and in others, and understand how to maintain a good sense of well-being, right? Straightforward enough. What I discovered is that actually this is a, it's a lovely company, lovely team, small, close, but it's not, it's not, or it should not be normalized that people will go into conference rooms to cry. No, That's a sign of something underlying that's not right. We had a lot of people who were struggling with the workload and not just at points of pressure. And that's something that needs to be looked at. So now we're looking to work with them to to develop their senior leadership team so they can better understand how to support and how to spread out the work, how to empower and enable people to to say no, or to push back on deadlines so that they can have a happier, healthier, and more productive team, ultimately.
1: Yeah, I think I love this team. I think the, they sound really into the work They love the work that they do. That's it's just, because and, they're, they're in the creative
0: arts. I like. They? Yeah,
1: that's what it was. Because we're quite industry agnostic, isn't it? So we like different industries. And this is the first kind of music one, industry one we've worked with. And I, I just, Love that! I can it's the part of me that feel like you're gonna, uh, um, you know, invite me back date
0: to some sort of.
1: It's gig. not going to happen. Oh, okay,
0: fine. Okay. <laughs> well, how can we help? Well, we can we can help you as an organisation, and you can help yourselves also by first of all take the need for a culture strategy seriously, right? And I don't know how many organisations are doing that but you need to make sure you're using your discovery tools so your surveys your pulse surveys your focus groups use them so that you can identify who that 72 percent quiet quitters are see the the loud quitters you know yeah but the quiet quitters are the ones you don't know and that's where the bulk of your productivity can come from but you need to know who they are It's Peter Drucker who says culture eats strategy for breakfast. And there's a reason you can devise the perfect strategy. But if you do not have a workforce and workplace that is motivated and inspired to execute that strategy, it will fail. So no matter how great your organization's business strategy is, you have to make sure that your people are committed to implementing it and can do so with gusto. That means they need to have enough juice left in the tank, Mm -hmm. right? You should invest in training your managers. I will keep beating on this drum until it's done. Properly train your managers so that they can help manage their team performance in an inclusive and empathetic manner. That is natural to them. They can have these honest and realistic conversations about workload and expectations, not just with their direct reports, but with their uplines with their clients so that we can actually deliver what we say we will deliver. You need to provide productivity strategy sessions. How many organizations are doing productivity training? I know we've been called by um, a a former client to deliver some productivity training recently. And we explained to the audience that it's not because this company wants you to work more, but rather because they want you to work less. Yes. That's what productivity training should be about, giving you more free time. So that's something that you should consider, something that uh, helps your employees adjust the way that they're working so that they can focus on outcomes and not output quality over quantity, mm-hmm. right? And then what stress management programs are you offering? Stress management support. And please don't say, oh, we got mental health first aiders. I mean- proper stress management support so that team members can find strategies that will work for their personality type their lifestyle and that that their particular level of stress right now don't just wait for stress awareness week this is something that will happen all the time so are you equipping them to manage with that stress so recap so we've had a look at the consequences of
1: Increase workload on your employees and managers, we talk about burnout, the fact that it reduces productivity, impaired work-life balance, reduces employee engagement and motivation, and of course, increases turnover and absenteeism. And then we talked about how you might spot that a workload is becoming an issue for your organization. And then finally, some examples about how you could help, your, your leaders can help to manage employee workload or at
0: least help your employees manage them more appropriately. The point is, stress is not good for you or your business. So take actions to prevent it and take actions to treat it quickly before it becomes an even bigger problem. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. We will speak to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion.
1: If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show notes and generally show us some love.
0: We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.